And so the the book of Ayikra is a book, is a sefer that talks about, much of it talks about, carbonate, sacrifices. Sacrifices. At least the first, the first two parts of Ayikra, the first two parshas of Ayikra and Tzav, discuss the carbonos extensively. And then throughout the rest of the book, we have also mentionings of sacrifices in Parshas Shemini, in Parshas Tazria and Mitzora, sections of Achrimos, in even in Kedoshim, pretty much all of the all of the pretty much all of them have mentions of sacrifices. And and, and this book is called by the rabbis. What is the name of this book called? It is called by the rabbis. It's called. I'm going to tell you the Hebrew. I'm going to tell you the Hebrew. I'm going to tell you the Hebrew name and then the Latin name. The Hebrew name is Torah Kohanim, the laws having to do with the Kohanim, the priests, and it's also known by some as Leviticus. But Leviticus actually, I don't know what the kiss, the C U S is. I don't know what that is. Some any any Latin people here. But Leviticus has to do with, right, the, 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 the role of the Levi, the tribe of Levi, Kohanim, tribe of Levi. So there's a lot to talk about when it comes to sacrifices to Karbonos. And I would like to just focus today on one, one focus, one idea, one issue on this week's parasha. And let's start for one moment on page 544. I'd like to raise a question or two. Um, but... But primarily today it's going to be sort of more of a, more of a machshava, sort of more of a thought uh, shear than a textual analysis. So page 544, so, el Moshe, verse 1, he called out to Moshe and Hashem spoke to Moshe from the tent of meeting, which means the Mishkan. And he says, Daber el b'nei Yisrael, Go and speak to B'nai Yisrael and tell them, Adon, now for those who are students of Hebrew, please try to pay attention here. Adon, ki yakriv mikem. A man, when you sacrifice from you, karbon lahashem, a sacrifice to God, min from a domesticated animal. That can be min bakar. That can be from the cattle. That means the cows, right? The bulls, the oxen. Min hatzon, or that's from the smaller animals from the flock. That means from the the sheep, right? The goat, the lamb, right? Takrivu es karbanchem. You shall bring your sacrifices. So this is the, the this is the introductory introduction to the world of sacrifices. And we have a tradition, we have a, not tradition, it's explicated in this week's parsha. there are many different types of sacrifices. And in previous years we've spoken about, there are four basic types of sacrifices. The one that the Torah talks about now is known as the Karban Ola, which the word Ola means what? Elevated. What is the difference between an Ola offering and a Shlomim offering? A Shlomim is another type. And then there's another one called an, an asham, which is a guilt offering, and a chatas, which is a sin offering. So there are different types of offerings. And just to give you a basic, very basic overview, the last two that I mentioned, 
the asham and the chatas, they are connected, for the most part, to sin. They're connected. For example, the asham comes when a person steals, or when a person is a mitzorah, or if a, one was a nazir, um, which, which is connected on some level to sin. Nazir, Mitzorah, Gizela, Me'ila, etc. There are, when a person is not sure if they sin, that's called an Asham Tolui. And then there's a Chatas, and Chatas is also connected often to sin offerings. The word Chatas itself means a sin offering. You can't donate a sin offering. You can't donate a guilt offering. The word Asham means guilt offering. You can't donate that. You can't do it in advance. I used to have, there were times when I was a rabbi in a, a different synagogue, so one of the members said to me, used to sometimes do things, and afterwards would apologize to me. So I, I said to that person, well, why didn't you ask permission? You know, I did something that was a communal thing. So the person said to me, Rabbi, sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask for permission. <laughs> it's a good line. It's not nice, but it's a good line. So you know, you, know, you uh, donate your... Uh, your sin offering in advance. No, there's, only, you don't, there's no such thing as a donation sin offering. But the first two types, Ola and Shlamim, Ola is completely burnt. Nobody eats it except for the Mizbeach, the altar consumes it. Right? The halacha is that when it comes to sacrifices, the definition of a sacrifice is that the blood has to be sprinkled on the altar. If the blood is not sprinkled on the altar, it is not considered to be a sacrifice. Pretty good, amen. Pretty good. Pretty good today. So the the uh, the all four of them need to be sprinkled on the mizbeach on the altar. We're talking about the outer altar. All four of them um, need to be slaughtered in proximity of the of the mikdash of the temple or the mishkan. Um, the, the the fats and the limbs are burnt on the burnt on the altar, burnt on the altar. But there are, there are differences. The ola is completely burnt; nobody eats it. The shlamim is eaten by the owner, by the owner's family, by the kohen, and, and it's consumed by the altar. The chatas um, is eaten by kohanim. And is consumed on the altar, but it cannot be eaten by non-Kohanim. It is not eaten by the, the one who brings the sacrifice. Similarly, the um, Asham, the guild offering, is eaten by male Kohanim and is eaten by the consumed by the altar, but not eaten by those that bring the sacrifice. So a different there is where it's slaughtered, there's some differences. Um, exactly how long you get to eat it, there are some differences. Who eats it, there's, there are a lot of nuances within the sacrifices. But the basic idea of a sacrifice, the basic idea of a sacrifice, um, the word, the word sacrifice in Hebrew is connoted by what Hebrew word? What's the Hebrew word for sacrifice? Carbon. And the word carbon has in its root what word? Karov, which means closeness. And even though in previous years we've discussed the opinion of the Rambam, and the Rambam explains to us in his classic rational work known as the Mora Nebuchim, that the idea of the sacrifice was primarily as a means of weaning the Jews from the idolatrous practices because they also engaged in sacrifice. It was sort of a concession, but the opinion of the Ramban and 
and I would say the lion's share of of approaches in sort of Jewish philosophy is that that's not the concept of carbon. The Ramban explains, we've learned this Ramban in the past, that the concept of the carbon on some level is, if not for the grace of God, this would be me. Right? This would be me. And therefore, especially when it comes to a sin offering, we read through the classical language of the Ramban um, in speaking about the concept of a sacrifice. So the Ramban says... To his beautiful language. This is the Ramban in chapter 1, verse 9. He, he's very upset at the Rambam. He really rips into him. He has five questions on the Rambam. Previous years, look at Ari Epstein's wonderful writer of the Shirim. One of these days I'll learn something from those Shirim also, because I have no idea what I said, but he, he knows. Okay. So the Ramban writes, Nachmanides, 1194 to 1270, says the following word. He says, that man's actions are nigmarim b'machshava u'bedibur u'bemaaseh. Man is a composite of thought, speech, and deed. Therefore, when a person sins, this is one type of the two types of sacrifices, at least, that are connected to, to sinning. When a person sins, they bring a sacrifice. And you put your hand on the sacrifice because the hand is ma'aseh, action. And you speak. The yisvade bepiv. You speak, you use words, that's speech. Because man is a composite of action and speech. You take the innards of the animal and you burn it because the innards of the, 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 innards of the animal represent the they represent the inner world, thought process, and desire. And you take the legs, which are like the four legs, are like the hands, and the back legs are like the legs of man. And you, you sprinkle the blood on the altar, because the blood is the soul. When a person is doing this, they should think, that all of this, that really this should be him. If not for the kindness of God, God took an exchange. And this, his blood is for your blood. And, and, and this is, this is the concept of, um, this is the concept of a sacrifice. So you take your machshava, your thought, your thoughts need to be elevated. Your dibor, your speech, you have to express what you did wrong in many of the sacrifices. And you're actually going to take your hands and you will appoint more ha-Torah, the Kohanim, the teachers of Torah, that they should daven for you. The karban tamid And what about the, the daily offering, which is not connected to me per se, but it's connected to the whole community? Bavur. It's impossible that the community wouldn't sin. The community as a whole, it's impossible to go one day. And these are words, says the Ramban, 
the, that are acceptable and they, they move the heart. And then the Ramban says, and there's a deeper idea, and he quotes, this, he quotes the concept of Kabbalah, that, in a, that, there's, that all sacrifices are connected to the midah of Rachmanus, of, of mercy, and that's why you will never find the name of God, the Midat Hadin, judgment name of God, Elohim, right? You'll never find that because sacrifices always appeal to God's sense of mercy. So this is classic Ramban on understanding sacrifices. But I would like to do tonight, in the very short time that we have, is to, is to take the Ramban's idea, but also he threw in at the end the concept of davening. Concept of davening. And you know that the carbon, which we said before, the root word of the carbon is karov, is to come close. Of course, the whole point of davening is connect to God. And you probably are familiar with the idea that davening is connected on some level to sacrifices. Have you heard of that idea before? What, what? It's not really instead, because they would, because according to Maimonides and according to, and according to the simple Gemara, they actually prayed even when they had, they had the temple. But it's still, there is an element of exchange. The tefillah is b'makom karbonos. The tefillah, our prayers, they take the place, or keneged karbonos. That's the language of the Gemara. Tefillah keneged karbonos. Sort of like against, opposing. They parallel the sacrifices. Tiknum. That's the idea that you might have heard of. That's why we daven how many times a day? We daven three times a day. But the first two times that we daven are completely mandatory. But the last time that we daven is sort of, it's a quasi-status. Because why? Because how many sacrifices do they bring every day in the temple on a communal level? Two. The morning sacrifice and the afternoon. The, the carbon tamid of the morning of the chakras and the carbon tamid of Benarbaya, the afternoon. And the nighttime sacrifice, there was no nighttime because the Beis Hamidish was closed at night. People were learning. Beis Hamidish was closed at night. So what did they burn at night? They burned the, the after effects of the morning. They burned the, of the whole day sacrifice. So it's called Hector Chalom Bebarm, the burning of the fats and the limbs. So didn't it constitute its own, the nighttime didn't have its own sacrifice. Therefore, Tfilas Arvis, the nighttime service, is not on the same par as the morning and afternoon. Because this very deep concept that tefillah is parallel to karbonos. That's really the topic of the shir. Before we get into that, I want to read to you something very majestic, very beautiful, in the name of Rav Zevin. Rav Shlomo Yosef Zevin, from the great uh, thinkers of the, of the 20th century, lived in Eretz Yisrael. For a large part of his life, he used to write, he wrote many svarim. He was the editor of what's called Encyclopedia Tamudid. He wrote the festivals in Halacha, which not the article translated but he wrote very beautiful, beautiful works. He has a saber called La Torah La Moadim. Listen to what he says. The two majestic ideas. And then we're going to get a little bit into the text and connect it to Tvila for Karbonos. So first of all, Karbon is the idea of Karov. Karbon is to come close. And even though when it comes to God, the concept of closeness can't be proximity, right? What do you mean? God is close? God's not a physical being. God's not a corporeal being. Right? Incorpore- incorporeality. But the truth is, it's even true by man. You can be very close to somebody, even if what? Even if they're very far away. I have a child in Yushalayim. I feel quite close to him. I have people that live on my block, neighbors. I feel very distant from them. Please don't tell them that. <laughs> they wouldn't even know that I'm there. I've been living there for a few years. That Some of them don't even knock on the door. Not even to ask for something. You know? Now, maybe I'm not the greatest neighbor either. 
Um, I have I have kids that what? I love that name. It is right. So you can have people that are living very close to you. Some of them are even in the same house. God forbid it could be a spouse. God forbid that are very close to you, but you feel very distant from them. But you could have people that live very far away, and you feel very close. And that's the concept of carbon, says Rav Zevin. You can have, you can, you, uh, what does it mean that Hashem is far away? Lama Hashem tamod barachok, David HaMelech writes in Tehillim chapter 10, Ta'alim li'itos batzara. God sometimes feels so far away. What do you mean? Kadosh Baruch God is everywhere. Melocha aritz kevodo. In the, in the language of Yirmiyo, es ha-shamayim es Wherever you look, God is. But He feels far away. So we turn to God and we say, Karov Hashem l'chol korov, those that call, call to Him. And therefore, the concept of closeness and distance is not a function of space. It's a function of one's internal world. It's a function of one's internal world. So carbon mirrors a relationship of closeness that is not measured by distance. Carbon is not about is not about proximity. It's 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 about a hergish. It's about an, a feeling, a tremendous feeling, inner feeling. So says Rav Zevin as follows. Listen to this beautiful thing. That's that's also his thinking. He says that in the world we we have a classic. Um, I don't know how to say it in English in a fancy way. Uh, Four-part division. I, I know there's a dichotomy. I know there's a trichotomy, but I don't think there's a quadchotomy. So I, I don't know how to say it. So I just have to say a four-part division. Okay, and the four-part division is domain, someach, chai, and midaber. Have you heard of these four terms? Let's review them. Domain is an inanimate object, but usually it means, but the word domain literally means what? Silent. Silent. Like my students while I'm teaching. Very silent. <laughs> Sometimes uh, to the point of uh, we're not sure if they're even breathing. Tzomeach, <laughs> right? Tzomeach. Tzomeach is what? Growth. Planting, right? Plant life. A rock is domain, right? A weed, that's what's in front of my house, a weed, a, a tree, right, is tzomeach. Chai, what's a chai? So what's a chai usually? What's it referring to? Animals, right? Animals, a chai. Right? And medaber, that's us. We're the, speak, we're the speakers. Those are the four divisions. And in the realm of domain... In the realm of the one that is inanimate, right? So the, there's no movement, there's no growth, there's no animated spirit. What is there? There's just existence. A very low level of existence. Tzomeach has growth, right? Tzomeach has growth. Um, but it doesn't, have, it doesn't have real movement. It grows, but it doesn't really move. Please don't bring me a riot from the Venus flytrap or something like that. You know, you know what I mean. Okay. Uh, after that is a chai. A chai, it's not simply that it grows, but it has movement. It's, it's alive. It's living. It's animated with the spirit. And a medaber 
has cognition, has intellect, has insight, emotions, etc. So says Rav Zevin, an amazing thing. Just like sacrifices bring us, bring us close to God, sacrifices bring together all elements of the world. How so? How so? Because a carbon, okay, a carbon carries with it, number one, you'd sacrifice the animal. That is what? That is the chai. Very good, Bob. The chai. <laughs> then you have what? Then you bring with many sacrifices, you bring what's called nisachin, which are libations that come with the animal, and they come from three realms. Flower, right? That's called soles, and, or menachos, flower offerings, but usually with the carbon. Then what else? Then not fruit, but rather oil, oil, right? Squeezing the olives, oil. Fruit may not be brought with the sacrifice, and philosophically, because it's no work to produce fruit. Only that which requires work is brought as a sacrifice, as the Meshachach explains. And number three, we got the oil, we got the flour. What's the third thing? The what? Water. No, not water. Water is once a year, actually. And Sukkis, right? What's the third thing? Wine. Wine. Okay? Wine. So those, those, so what, what does that represent? Which realm is that? Which realm is So we have the chai, that's the living. What is that? The, the flour, the oil, the... The wine, that's re- what realm is that? No? Sameach. Very good. That which grows. Right? Then you have, right? Then you have, this is the interesting one, you have the domain. The domain is the inanimate. Every carbon must come with, anybody know? Salt. Who said that? Every carbon must come with salt. You must sprinkle salt on every sacrifice. Because... The carbon is supposed to bring together all aspects of existence. And by the way, who brings the sacrifice? The medaber, the person. So says Rav Zevin, says Rav Zevin, that the concept is, listen beautifully to the, we mentioned this point at the very beginning of the year, that when it says in verse 2, page 544, <laughs> speak to B'nai Yisrael, and tell them, Adam, a man, when he sacrifices Mikem, a man, when he sacrifices from amongst you, that's written, that's not proper English. It should say, a man amongst you when he sacrifices. You with me? He should have said, Adam Mikem, a man amongst you when he sacrifices. So says Rav Zevin and many others, many others, they say the same idea, that the idea of this verse is, when you bring a sacrifice, who are you bringing? Or what are you bringing? Not, you're not just bringing the animal. What are you bringing? You're bringing yourself, right? And that's really based on the Ramban that we learned, that one has to bring, it's, a, it's, a, it's an experiment of cognition. It requires kavana, sacrifices requires intention. So Adam, a man, when he sacrifices, he brings himself. So all sacrifices represent not simply that I am, not simply that I am bringing myself to God, but I'm bringing all of, the, all of existence to God. It's a tremendous act of carbon. Carbon is not simply I'm coming close to God, but I'm bringing my whole world to God. Now, I saw there was a guy, I'm trying to remember who it was. There was a, there was a, a, 
Yeah, I was Motei uh, Shabbos. I was sitting next to a fellow listening to Rabbi Lau, and he davened at Sola. And I said to him, I said, if you come to the shir, I'll mention something from the Babji Rebbe. So he didn't come to the shir, but I'm still going to mention something from the Babji Rebbe. Okay? So you could tell Jeremy, I'm going to, you know, and I'm very upset he didn't come. Okay, fine. Here, this is an amazing, this is from the Tanya, from the Tanya, chapter 34 in the Tanya. Listen to what the Tanya says, okay? Very beautiful. He says the following concept. Um, he says, number one, we know that the nature of, of our history is that the Avos, the patriarchs, were the Merkava. Can somebody please open the door? The Avos, it usually, it should be, it should be, um, it should be horizontal. Okay. Ha'avos, hey, hey, now I cover. I'll tell you this. Those terrorists have made my life so difficult. I have to take my shoes off, right? Which actually makes much more difficult for the TSA people because, you know, it's not always what's so pleasant, you know, when the shoes come off. So, whatever it is. So, the, so the, um, so ha'avos, hey, hey, now I cover. The patriarchs, they are the conduit of spirituality. That's a famous concept that we learned in the beginning of Sefer Shmos, because the patriarchs and the matriarchs, they were constantly thinking about God. They, they never had what's called a hefsik. Anybody know what the word hefsik means? An interruption. They were always, they were, everything for them was God. And then after them, says the Tanya, the prophets came. And they had a tremendous level of connection also. And Moshe Rabbeinu, was of course the Shekhinah spoke through Moshe. And the Jewish people also represented that type of revelation at Mount Sinai, but they couldn't handle it because they, they kept on dying, according to our tradition. They kept on dying because they just couldn't handle that degree of holiness. Therefore, God made a Mishkan. He made a Mishkan. A Mishkan is a place where they can have that connection. That's that connection. And when the temple was destroyed, so now we don't have that ability to bring sacrifices. We don't have that. Mishachar Beis Hamikdash says the Tanya, "Ein la Hakadosh Baruch Hu ba'olamo." He doesn't have that place except for the four cubits of halacha, which represents God's desire. Halacha represents God's will in the world, Torah and Jewish law. And when a person is able to think about what that means, what does God want from me? Then they're connected to God. And then the Tanya says, and here's the point I want to bring to you. And he says, and therefore a person should learn a lot of Torah. But not always can a person learn Torah the whole day. We have to go make a living. Right? So they learn in the morning, they learn at night. That's, a, that's the basic obligation. So then, the Tanya says, but when a person is, brings God into their life, then gam sha'ar hayom kulo, the rest of the day, they, they started davening, they learned, and then they go to business. Sha'osek b'mata uvematan. When they work, when, they, when they're engaged in business. Yihiyeh machon l'shifto yisbarach. The business, the workplace can also be a place of God's abode. When you give tzedakah, you give from your toil to somebody else. So you're acting like God. And even though you're not giving all your money, you're only giving one-fifth, because that's the maximum you can give is one-fifth. So one-fifth, think about the hand. So you have four fingers you keep, right? One-fifth, right? One-fifth. You give away, but in that hand, right, it resides God. And Chazal therefore tell us that the mitzvah of tzedakah is connected to all the sacrifices. And says 
the Balatanya and in the sacrifices. What is a sacrifice? So again, when I give tzedakah, what I'm really doing is I'm giving all of my work. I'm toiling. I'm putting in a big effort, a big day. You know, all the people in this room that came to learn, right? They worked hard today. I hope you worked hard today, right? And you're gonna and you give from that money to somebody else. So you're consecrating your whole day. And so too says the Balatanya. When you bring sacrifices, you take that which grew, as we said before, the tzomeach, and you take the chai, which is the carbon, and you take the domin. He doesn't mention that over here, but he means it. You take the salt, and all of that becomes a way in which all of your existence becomes a godly existence. And more than that, besides your Torah and tefillah, besides your learning and davening, then all of that which you eat and drink, the four fingers, the fifth one you gave to, you gave to Saka, but you have four fingers, which means the four fifths of money, which you're going to use for your eating and your drinking and for your health, right, and for membership to the kosher gym, and to the, you know, all, all that other stuff, from the Bria Skufo, all of that, that's all bringing together all of your existence to God. And says the Balatanya, that's called a Jew who lives a unified life, where there's nothing in your life that doesn't fit in to divine service. You eat, it's connected to God. You give tzedakah, obviously that's God. Right? You bring a sacrifice, obviously that's God. But you, the, besides the sacrifice, you also eat the meat. That's also connected to God. Right? You learn, that's obviously God. But you make money, that's God also. Because it, that's the concept of the carbon, is to take, all of, to take all of your existence and to bring it close, to unify. The sacrifice represents a unified existence. That's the beautiful concept that Rav Zevin shares with us. And this is, okay, this is the introduction to the shir that I now have 10 minutes to present, present to you, or whatever, 15. But here, listen carefully to this concept again. So what have we said so far? What have we said? That the concept of carbon, it would be, the Ramban tells us the concept of carbon is what is that? If not for the grace of God, go I. It's supposed to bring together, unify your dibur, machshava, and maisa, your thoughts, your speech, and your actions. And... Then Rav Zevin says that the word carbon means to close, to bring close, to come close to God. But God is not, doesn't have a distance of closenesses in the inner workings of the heart. And the concept of closeness also is to take every aspect of existence, the four levels, domain, somea, chayme, daber, and bring that into the carbon. And then the Balatanya says, that's not just the carbon, that the carbon is a metaphor for life. In life itself, every aspect of existence, you sleep for God. It's a beautiful thing by the Jew, right? We say Shema right before, we say Shema right before we go to sleep. And then we wake up, right? And we say Mo'odani, we say the Berkha Torah, and there's a beautiful idea of the Levush, if I'm not mistaken, the Levush is the one that says that we have three blessings in the morning on, on the Torah. Why the three blessings of the morning of the Torah? So, or, or two, depending on how you count it. So he says, because one of them is the after bracha from yesterday's Torah. You know, before you eat and after you eat. So he says, because, but, but a Jew's not allowed to ever stop learning. So how do you ever know that you stop? When you, went to, when you fall asleep, then you know you stop. But when you fell asleep, you can't say the after bracha. You wake up right away, you say the after bracha for yesterday, and then you move on to today. Because the concept is, a Jew's life is sandwiched 
with the cognizance of God. That's the goal. Now, some of us, right, are not necessarily, I don't know about you, I'm not there yet. But God willing, right, we hope every, every day of our life or every week or every month or every year, we get a little bit closer. We, we, you know, we eat for God a little bit more, right? Not just that we make brachas, but that we don't eat like a pig, you know, and we, we're able to control our tithes and that we, we, we control what we say and we control to whom we say it and all that. All of that is part of living a unified lifestyle, right? That's, it's a tall order. Judaism demands a lot from us because Baruch Hu thinks very highly of us, right? If somebody, if somebody is, in, is in a special education class, has a modified test, right? It's because you say they can't really, you know, that's, that's what they could do. God doesn't consider us in need of special education. God demands everything from us. Everything. Because he thinks we can do it. So, says, uh, so, that, so that's Rav Zedin's idea. But we don't have Karbaros today. We don't have karbanos, but we have tefillah, we have prayer. And as I mentioned before, that there's a very deep connection between prayer, between prayer and karbanos. And everything, the rest of the shir is devoted to try to figure out, to try to show you some of the parallels between tefillah and sacrifices. Because if that's the case, so when a Jew walks into prayer, and if you understand that the concept of prayer is what? is to unite and bring together all aspects of your existence, so then it's a whole different type of tefillah. So with that introduction, I want to share with you maybe 10, 11 points of parallel between tefillah and karbonos. Of course, some of you are familiar with some of the basics. I already mentioned in the shir some of the, the, the classic connection with, is what? We bring, we bring the morning sacrifice and the afternoon sacrifice, and that's the tefillah, that tefillah is the, of the morning is called shachris, and the tefillah of the afternoon is called mincha, and it's connected to the two sacrifices. And the nighttime sacrifice, as we mentioned before, that didn't exist. It was only an afterthought. It was not an afterthought. It was the consequence. It was the burning of the fats and limbs. Therefore, the arvis prayer, the evening prayer, is called rishus. On some level, it's not called as mandatory because it's all connected to the concept of the original sacrifices. That's one very obvious parallel. The zman of tefillah is a second, not just the amount of, of, of prayers a day, but the time to daven. You could only daven shachris, much to many of the teenagers of this community's chagrin, you could only daven shachris up till when? Up till midday. Why up till midday? Because this, the morning sacrifice was only able to be brought until the end of the morning. And in fact, the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda is that they only were able to bring the morning sacrifice until four hours into the day. And that's why, that's why you're only allowed to daven shachris until four hours into the day, according to Rabbi Yehuda. And that's why we paskin in halacha, like Rabbi Yehuda, that we should, we should not daven the shachris past the four-hour time. That's called sov zman tefillah. However, there are those that are lenient in this area, um, without going into the detail. But the bottom line is that that's connected to the time. And the afternoon sacrifice is known as the mincha prayer. You may not be said earlier and may not be said past what time? The two opinions. 
but either sunset or stars out. But that also depends on what, when they brought the sacrifice. That's connected to the same way. The zman of sacrifice is connected to the zman of tefillah. Certainly. That's why the musaf was never said at night. Because the musaf offering was only brought during the day, like all other sacrifices. And according to the one opinion in the Mishnah, it should be said, not, should not be said past the seventh hour in the day. Because that's when the time to bring the musaf ideally was brought. All of this is obvious. So we have the number of prayers, and we have what? And we have the time for prayer. These are, this is, this is obvious and clear connection. Tefillah and sacrifices. What else? What else? That's two. What else? Right. So a lot of shuls that start with the word Chabad um, start at 10. So they have their, you know, they have their sources and you should, you should, you should contact your L-C-C-O-R, your local competent Chabad Orthodox rabbi. But since I am not a competent Chabad Orthodox rabbi, I'm barely a competent rabbi, so then you should, you know, but, but the truth is we, it's a longer conversation. Third idea. Musaf, Musaf, you have more time. Third idea. Listen to what the Rambam says. The Rambam, in the laws of prayer, says that there are five things, five things that prevent effective prayer, even if you hit the right time. And one of them, the Rambam says, is kavana salev. Kavana. What does kavana mean? Intention of the heart. In other words, when a person davens, and you know, there's a famous story of Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Berditch, who was a great Hasidic Rebbe. He once saw a, a fellow in the shul davening. And you know, again, I don't know about you, I don't mind acknowledging that. I mean, do mind, it's a little bit sad, but sometimes I'm not always focused in my davening. And, you know, I'll start davening and I'll find myself in Atachonein, which is the first bracha. And the next thing I know, I'm like moving my three steps back and wondering, how did I get here? Right? Like, what happened? Like, what happened? There's nothing in between. Like, you know, the short davening today, you know? So, uh, so, this, so the famous story of Levi Yitzchak of Mividichev, who came to a, one of the Jews who was davening, he said to him, Shalom Aleichem! Shalom Aleichem, which is the classic greeting of a turn. He just came back. He says, Rebbe, I've been here the whole time. I would say, yesterday, what's the Shalom Aleichem? So he said, Rebbe, I suspect that in your tefillah, you were visiting many different countries. <laughs> you were in Switzerland. You were in Eretz Israel. You know, you were thinking about Italy, France. Then when you finished the you came back home. Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem. So, so, the Mishnah Brewer, the Shulchan Aruch, with Yosef Karo, sorry, Yosef Karo writes in chapter 98, in Orach chapter 98, he says, Hatfilahi in Halakha 4, 98.4, Code of Jewish Law, Shulchan Aruch, Hatfilahi b'makam ha-karvan. Tfilah, it takes the place of sacrifice. Therefore, one has to be very careful. It should be like a carbon, the kavana, when it comes to intention. There should be no mixture of other thoughts. Just like we know that when a person brings a sacrifice and he has the wrong intention, he thinks he's bringing a different carbon. Or he thinks he's bringing, he, he thinks that he can eat it past a certain time. Or he thinks that he can eat it past a certain place. So it's called pigul. 
Machshev is chutz l'zman or chutz l'mekomo, or for the wrong sacrifice. The kavana, pray, sacrifices are very sensitive to kavana. So too, so too, tefillah is very sensitive to kavana. Kavana, if I didn't have the greatest kavana when I was taking my lulav nesom, it's still a mitzvah. I shook the lulav nesom, I ate the matzah. I was just thinking, I was thinking when I ate the matzah, gee, I hope I survived this experience. Right? I, that's still a mitzvah because when I eat the, when I do the mitzvah of matzah, it's understood what I'm doing. I have kavana, it's, in, it's inherent. I don't have to have the deepest kavana. When I daven, I have to know according to Chaim Salvechik that I'm standing in front of God. And if I don't know that I'm standing in front of God, it's not, a, it's not an effective prayer. That's the third parallel of kavana, of, of tefillah and karban. That if I don't have the right kavana, it doesn't count. Yes. Okay, beautiful question. Beautiful question. When, when I'm, I'm only focusing now on the Amida, on the silent prayer, because that is the paradigmatic prayer. That's a very beautiful question. Number four. Number four, and that is, this is interesting, clothing. Clothing. So we know that when, one, when the Kohen brought the sacrifice in the temple, in the Mesamidosh, he had four special garments. Right? And the Kohen Gadol had eight. And if he didn't have the, if he didn't have the right begadim, he didn't have the right clothing, the halacha is that the carbon was puzzle. Mechusar begadim, if you're missing the right clothing, it's puzzle avoda. It's invalidated. Not just that, if the pants were too long, if the pants were too short. When I was growing up, we used to call them uh, high tide pants, right? Flood pants, we used to call them, right? So, so no, the the, um, the the halacha is that you need to walk into the coin has to bring the in the base hamidash the right clothing. Says the Shulchan Aruch, a person should have ra'ui lo sheyihi ra'ui sheyulo malbushim na'im miyuchadim litfila. You should have special garments for davening. It's not like I walked off the baseball field. Or the basketball court, or the you know this is L.A. the tennis court, or the you know the lawn bowling, whatever you know. I, I don't know. I have to. I should be. I have to have special garments for davening. Kigon big day kahuna, and says the shochanah. And let's say you can't afford that. At least you should have like special, you know, nice pants. Miuchadim latfila. So it's interesting. You know that you guys know that you know, they're the. There are a lot of different pants that teenagers wear, but there are these pants that could be made into shorts. You know what I'm talking about? Like you zip, zippers all around, right? So, I, you know, so one of the rules that one of the camps that I went to, called NCS Wakolo, they used to have the sports camp, uh, whatever, they made, the, the guys had to, the guys had to wear pants for davening. So the guys, I remember seeing that the guys would like put on, they'd put on their like, you know, the second half of their pants, like they take off the shorts, but then they come down and they zip on the other part. So that's okay. And that that that's at least cool. That's like something. It's not like I'm playing ball. I need to have something a little bit different. I'm walking into davening. That's what what number parallels that number four, right? Number four, number five says the Shulchan Aruch. It should be. I should have a special makom, a special place. Kaviyas makom. The karbonos were slaughtered in a, in very specific places. Shchitasan Batsafon. Most of the sacrifices were slaughtered on the northern part of the of the Mishkan or the Beis Hamidosh, and they occupied and they were 
they were brought to a very specific place in on the altar itself, on the altar itself, and they were sprinkled in specific locations on the altar. Kviyos makom, kemoha karbonos, kemshakol echad kavua mikomo, lishchitaso umatan domo, where you slaughtered it and where you sprinkled the blood, all of that was what? Was a very set place. I walk into David one day, oh, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like, you know, getting uh, up, up close and personal. Today, I'm not feeling that intimate. Let me go a little bit closer, let me go further away. No. If a person has a set makom, then what? Then they plug into the tefil of Avram Avinu. That's the fifth parallel. A sixth parallel. One should, one must daven me'umad. One must daven standing up, just like the Kohen was not allowed to sit down in the temple. The Kohen had to be standing. Kohanim had to be standing when he did his avoda, because avoda has to be done dafka in a place of lack of comfort. It's not chill time, right? I'm on, I need to be focused in my thoughts. And when I'm sitting down, right, when I'm sitting down, then very often I'm not able to really have the proper, the proper, um, the proper focus. So that's a, what number parallel is that? I will say number, number six. A seventh parallel, a seventh parallel is very beautiful. The Rambam writes, the Rambam writes in a seventh parallel, the Rambam says that when a person goes to Davin, um, one should wash their hands. One should wash their hands. And this is the Rambam in, I want to read to you his language, in, um, in chapter 5. In chapter 5, the Rambam writes, excuse me, chapter 4, chapter 4, um, Hilchos Tefillah, the Rambam says, in the morning, listen to this amazing Rambam. Mr. Brewer says we don't do this today, but let me read to you the words of the Rambam. The Rambam says that you must purify your hands in, for Tefillah. And hands are enough except for shachris. Shachris, the morning, you should be rochets panav yodav viraglav. In the morning, you have to wash your hands, your face, your hands, and your feet before you daven. And then you can daven. And the Ravid says, where did he get the feet from? The Ravid is a classic antagonist of the Ram. Where did he get the feet from? Where did the Ram say get the feet from? And the Shulchan Aruch records the Rambam that you have to wash your feet before you daven. And the Mishnah Roy says that's because the Rambam was living in Arabic countries, and their feet were always, they didn't have shoes, and therefore their feet were always dirty, but nowadays we're not makbid on this halacha. But that's what the Mishaburah says, and that's true, Ashkenazic practice is not to wash their feet, although I would, for some I'd recommend it. But, but, but the, the commentaries on the Rambam, one of the classic commentaries on the Rambam is known as the Rabbeinu Manoach. And Rabbeinu Manoach says, where did the Rambam get it from? Where did the Rambam get this idea that a person should what? That a person should wash their hands and feet. So they quote two Gemaras. One Gemara is a Gemara in Masecha Shabbos, page 50b, that says a person must wash their hands and feet, um, face hands and feet every day, as it says, everything is for God. But the Rabbi Menoch then says, no, tefillah is connected to medium. Tefillah is parallel to sacrifices. And the Kohen, a regular Kohen was not allowed to what? Was not a new finish it up for me. You should know this. A regular coin was not allowed to do service in the Mesa Midish, including which is what? Including that is bringing the sacrifices unless he did what? What was the first thing he had to do? He had to go to the sink, to the laver, the basin, 
and he had to stick his hands and feet right into the basin to wash himself before he did the avoda. And Rabbi Manoach says, that's why we do it. We do it because the, we're, we're, we're Kohanim. The Kohen, I feel before he brought the sacrifice, before he brought the covenant of it, and any avodah, if he didn't do that, and he did service without it, his service is invalid, and we're the end, and our prayer is like Karbanos. So before we're doing the avodah, we need to wash our hands and feet. That's the depth of the Rambam. We're like Kohanim. Amazing. Amazing parallel. What number is that? Number seven. Number eight. Number eight. Now, Rabosai, this one is one that I'm suggesting. Therefore, when I always say, before I suggest something, you can just take it and throw it away and fine. But we said before that a sacrifice unites all worlds. The four worlds. Remember that? That, that, that seemed like that was going on the, like an hour ago, right? What were the four worlds? So I want to suggest that before, that when we daven in we do the same thing. So where is that? Obviously, the easiest one is what? What's the easiest one? Medaber, we speak, right? Medaber, we speak. That's obvious. What about the chai? What about the chai? What is chai? Chai is movement, right? Animals, moving. Anybody, anybody ever see when you daven? You ever see, you know, right? Like, what do Jews do when they daven? They, they shuckle, right? And the Ramah explains, All of your limbs should they, because you're bringing the world of, the, your animalistic world, the world of movement, you're bringing that to prayer also. That's also part of it, right? I always like to tell, I always tell my students, like, you know, Jews, you know, you ever want a rabbi to stop talking, you should tie up his hands. Right? Because the rabbi can't talk with that hands, right? You know, this is like, you know, this is like, uh, I, always, I always tell my students, this is a rabbi, this is a rabbi in neutral. Right? This is a rabbi in drive, and this is a rabbi in reverse. Right? So, so you know, so like that, you know, all three, right? All three of the gears. Right? So, when we daven, right? When we daven, we also engage movement. Movement. But we know that classical prayer is done bilachash. Lachash means what? Silent prayer. Silence. Lecha dumiya tihila. The ultimate prayer in praise of God is to be silent, which is ultimate humility. And so that's, which one is that? Which one is that? That's domain. That's we have domain, we have chai, we have medaber. Now this is the weakest one. I admit it's the weakest one, and I, I definitely take your suggestions for a better one. But what's the one? What's the one element? The one element that we did to someach. Someach is what? Is is growth, right? It grows, right? You grow. The animal, the, not the animal, the plant. Plants grow. So there is a halachic obligation when you daven. Four times when you daven, you are. I admit this is a little bit weak. I admit, I admit. but the four times. You have to go down, you go down, and then you have to come up like this. Come up like this. And it could be that this represents the concept of smicha, the concept of growth. The all four elements, all four pieces of the, of, of the world come together in prayer. Just like Rav, Rav Zevin suggests by Karbonos, 
it could be we could say this is also true by Tfilah. That's idea number eight. Number nine. Number nine. I'm just going to say this quickly because I got to get to 10 and 11 and then I got to leave. Number nine, Rav Hirsch. The first thing that a Jew does, or the first thing that was done in the Beis Hamidosh, before they brought the morning sacrifice, before they washed their hands. Well, actually, no, washing hands is the first thing. But right after they washed their hands and feet, there was something called the removal, the removal of the ash. Anybody know what that's called in Hebrew? The Trumas Hadesha. They would take the ash, the ash that would pile up. <laughs> can somebody else do it? She's not the maid. They also can somebody just. Yeah. So the Trumas Hadeshen, right, was they would take all the, the burning of the animals of the whole, over the whole, uh, the whole night, the, the ashes, and the Kohen would go and he would take the ashes, he would pile them up in the middle of the, of the pile them up in the middle of the. Uh, yeah. Okay, fine, then it's in the front also. Forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it. So. It's all right, Rachel, come back. You no, it's all right. She's not. Okay, fine. So the, the Rav Hirsch said, so we would take the ashes. Forget about it. Please don't get up. Please don't get up. It's all right. Is it, is it horizontal? Is it lock, vertical or horizontal? No, the, the lock in the, in the gate. Is it horizontal or vertical? Yeah, that's right. Just leave it open. Just leave it open. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's all right. Fine. So, so we, the Kohen takes the ashes puts them in the center of the Mizbeach, and then when it gets too much, he then takes the ashes, he brings them down, he brings them down the ramp, and at some point he actually takes them out of the temple. What's this removal of the ash ceremony? So Rav Hirsch says a beautiful idea. And this will get us to point number 10 and 11 in a moment. I want to read to Rav Hirsch says, what's with the removal of the ashes before you bring the sacrifice? What's that about? So he says, because the, to introduce the service of the young new day, we have to refer back to that which had been accomplished on the previous day. And we have to never, the fresh day brings the whole Jewish mission to be accomplished afresh. Fresh as if nothing had yet been accomplished. Does the beginning of every new day call us to go to our mission with full new devotion and sacrifice? And nothing that has already been done may lessen the energy with which we go to do our duty. The thought of, well, it has already been accomplished can be the death of that which is still to be accomplished. Listen to that line. The thought of that which has already been accomplished can be the death of that which is still to be accomplished. Woe unto him who with smug self-complacency thinks he can rest on his laurels on what he has already achieved and who does not meet the task of every day, fresh day with the full fresh devotion as if it were the first day of his life's work. You have to remove yesterday's work and say, I'm starting afresh again. And that can actually exist on two planes. The person doesn't say this, but I'm going to add this point. Let's say I had a bad day yesterday. Yesterday was a difficult day. So you have to rid yourself of yesterday's ashes also. You can only, you have to, a Jew has to, be, has, to bring, has to bring the new energy of the day to the, to, to the tefillah. That's why tefillah requires his spodidus. And this gets us to 10 and 11. This gets us to 10 and 11. And this is the beautiful Torah of Rav Schwab. And with this I will conclude. Rav Schwab says... Rav Shimon Schwab says that there is a sacrifice known as the Karban Ola. The Ola is the daily offering. It was completely burnt, as we mentioned before. But the day, the tummy, the carbon tummy, which was born in the morning and the afternoon, was an Ola. That's what the community brought, an Ola. But the Ola has a few things that are unique. One of them is that you would strip the animal, strip the skin off the animal. You had to flay 
the skin off the animal. That's called hefshet. And nituach is you have to you have to cut it up. You cut up the animal into pieces. Not by any other sacrifices, only by the older. You cut it after you slaughtered it. You would do what's called hefshet nituach. You cut it, you took off the skin, and you cut it up. And Rav Schwab says, what's with that? What's the idea behind it? And he says an amazing thing. He says an amazing thing. Listen to his words. He says that it says in the Shulchan Aruch, in chapter 98, when it talks about the laws of davening, Shulchan Aruch tells us that, that the Hasidim, the, the pious Jews, the Anche Maisa, the men of great deeds, they would be mispodeid. They would Before they would daven, they would first reflect. They would engage in hispodidus, right? What's the better? Meditation, right? And they would think about their davening. And the language, listen to the language of the Shulchan Aruch. They would get to the point that they would separate themselves from the material concerns, right? How can you go into davening when you're worried about what's with the stock market and what's with my test and what's with the date and what's with the doctor's appointment and what's with the finances and what's with the construction and what's with the marriage and what's with the kids? Yeah, it's impossible. So you have to what? You have to walk into davening his pashtus hagashmias. Right? You have to sort of separate yourself. Hefshet. The word hefshet means to, to strip off, to get rid of the covering, to get rid of the covering. So before you daven, you have to walk in. It's really, it's a good thing to do. Take even a minute or two before you daven to clear your head. His pashtus is what the Shulchan Aruch says. And that's the karban ola. The daily davening, morning and afternoon, is parallel to the morning, the morning sacrifice of the ola and the afternoon sacrifice. The Ola was the only one that had the concept of Hefshet. Hefshet is what? It's stripping yourself from your material compliments and being able to engage in a, in a mano gado, right? Man and God, right? One on one. That devekus, that concept of being able to think about what I want in life. Where is my connection with God? What does it all mean? What does it all mean? And that's the 10th parallel. And then to give you the 11th and the most beautiful parallel is what we said before is the nituach. The nituach is the breaking apart of the animal. You cut it, you chop it into pieces. What's that about? So let me read to you something very beautiful that I just uh, received a few days ago by Rabbi Baruch Cohen, by the lawyer Baruch Cohen, who never lost his daughter 12 years ago. And he writes on his, on his daughter's yard site something very, very beautiful. He writes, Usually we think of wholeness and brokenness as two diametrically opposed states of being. But that isn't necessarily so. Sometimes brokenness leads to wholeness to the point that without the broken pieces, there could be no whole. These are moments when Hashem desires that we... There are moments when Hashem desires that we connect to Him as wholesome people with clarity, a sense of fullness. I would say that's Yom Tov, that's Shabbos, that's Hallel, that's Hoda'ah. Yet there are deeper moments when he desires that we find him in the shattered experience of our lives. As Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson said, second Chabad reference, we hope and pray to always enjoy the whole tablets. But when we encounter the broken ones, we ought not to run from them or become dejected by them. With tenderness, we ought to embrace them and bring them into our Holy of Holies. Recalling the observation of the Katzke Rebbe, there is nothing more whole than a broken heart. As David HaMelech says in Tehillim 51.19, Rev nishpar v'nidke elokim lo tivse, the broken and beaten heart God will never despise. 
And therefore, we take the Ola, which represents the paradigm sacrifice of prayer, and we break it down. We slaughter it, and we break it into pieces. We break our heart. We turn to God, and we're shattered. And we have this problem, and that problem, and this problem. And that's why it says in the Shulchan Aruch, before you dive in the language of Shulchan Aruch is, that you should think about things that will make your heart supple, that are machnia the lay, that make the heart soft. Think of things that make you that make you vulnerable. Think of your vulnerabilities. That's a necessary preamble to prayer. And therefore, it says Rav Schwab, in a very beautiful idea, he says, that's why right before we say Shemonesh, we say, Hashem, open up my lips. What do you mean? I know many people who even before saying Hashem, suppose I did tough, they had no problem choosing. I know many Jews that even, they walk, they walk into breakfast, lunch, supper, they talk, they talk, they never say, Hashem, I'm not sure if I'll be able to speak. They do a very good job speaking without Hashem, suppose I did tough. What's what, what do, why I should open up my lips? The answer says what Schwab is, because after you've separated yourself from that, from the material, and you're a totally broken person, that's the, that's the state of a Jew before prayer, then you say to God, God, I'm totally yours now. Now that I'm broken, please reconstruct me. Right? Please reconstruct me in your way. Hashem Open up my lips because I'm a broken sacrifice and I don't know what to say, but you say it for me. But help me say it. Help me say it. The blessing of a broken heart. The blessing of a broken heart. A Jew who comes to prayer with these ideas are both say will be able to achieve tremendous things, tremendous levels of tefillah. Hashem should give us the ability to connect to Karbonos and to connect Be'ezus Hashem, our tefillah, in that deep way. And Be'ezus Hashem, our tefillah, will be accepted by Hashem in the deepest and most sublime way. Thank you for listening.